Emma and welcome to the Hopes and Dreams podcast. The journey to parenthood isn't always easy. For many, fertility can be one of life's greatest challenges. And in this podcast, we'll be talking to people with all different types of journeys, including stories of loss and grief, but also, and most importantly, of strength and hope. We'll talk openly about different experiences to provide you with advice, support and coping strategies and hopefully some comfort and to help you feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. Today I'm joined by another friend and colleague, Michelle. Someone, if you're having a bad day, you can call upon because they understand exactly how you feel. And while we're both very open about our different journeys, fertility can still be very invisible in the workplace and it's so important to normalise these conversations. Michelle and I both have rainbow girls about the same age who are both about to start primary school and I'm sure we both thought our stories would be different and we'd have little babies at home at this stage too. Michelle's story is very complicated and traumatic and she's so brave to come on and talk about her experiences to help other people and I know others will find it really helpful. And as well as sharing her experiences we're also going to cover mental health and PTSD, something which also joins us together. The effects on mental health can be long-lasting, so it's really important we talk about this in the context of fertility and baby loss. And thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. And I just think it's really amazing what you're doing, Emma. And I've just felt um, so inspired by everybody else that you've had on so far and sharing their stories. And and I've taken a lot from that too. So a real thank you to them as well. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, it, it it's been really inspiring. All the different stories that um have been shared and the bravery, including you. So, um, I really do thank you for coming on. Um, it's always good to I like to sort of start at the beginning because I think it sets the context and and as particularly in your story. So when I first met you, I think it was about twenty fourteen at at the place we work, but that was really the start of your fertility roller coaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. In a way, they've kind of both run parallel. So yeah, as you say, we we met at work and earlier on that year, my husband Keith and I had been married in April 2014. And sadly, shortly after that, we'd we'd lost his mum. So we had quite a lot going on and then I'd applied for the the job and, and, and started working there. And then kind of within the first two weeks of my new job, um, I was at work just a normal day and just wasn't feeling myself wasn't feeling well very well at all and it started off just thinking it was maybe a, a you know a cold or, or just being a bit down with the weather a bit a bit run down because you know it's a new job there was a lot to take in uh, but really by lunchtime I was struggling to to sit on my seat I felt really hot and clammy I was starting to feel quite bloated and the honest answer is I just thought, oh gosh, it must just be, it must be those periods again, because I've never really had um, regular periods and, and period pains, always something that I've, I've kind of had at, at quite a high level. And as the day went on, I just started to think, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'm not bleeding, so what's going on? Uh, and really by about four o'clock, I was just in excruciating pain. Um, I'd been going to the bathroom on and off, um, feeling like I needed to go to the toilet but couldn't, and and again just getting really really clammy, and eventually by about half past four when I'd failed to show up at, at the meetings that were scheduled for that day, a colleague found me on the floor of my office, um, 
on the phone to NHS 24, uh, at which point they'd said, we can see you're quite close to a hospital, which I was at the time. They said, is there any way you can get, um, get down to the hospital? And a colleague kindly walked me down there, at which point my husband had already been called and, and he was there waiting for me. And um, we spent the next couple of hours in A&E waiting to be triaged. And at that point, the pain was just, um, I don't really have the words for it. It was just the most excruciating pain I have ever experienced. Um, and I think all along, I just couldn't figure out what was what was going on. And eventually we went through triage and they, you know, they took a urine sample and they told me I was pregnant and it just came as such a shock. We were, we were newly married. We'd had so much going on at that point. We knew we wanted kids, but we weren't, um, we weren't planning for a family. I was actually on the pill at the time. Uh, and I just didn't know what to think. I had so much pain in my head. I couldn't actually, I couldn't form any thoughts. And I guess just in a moment of sheer desperation upon receiving the news, I just kind of began to beg, like, get it out of me, get it out of me, get it out of me. And I feel terrible even saying that out loud uh, today. But I just couldn't compute how how what I was experiencing could be a pregnancy. Um, and at that point, uh, they, they, I could tell that the, the staff knew something wasn't right um, and they explained they were going to transfer me to a different hospital across the city. So I was put in an ambulance. I, I don't remember too much about it at that point because um, I was on kind of gas and stuff. But I was moved to the, the hospital and shortly after arrival, I, I told my husband that I, um, that I loved him. I asked him to tell my family that I loved them because I just, I was so, in so much pain and drifting, I guess what I what I assumed was in and out of consciousness at the time, that I, I just didn't think at that point I was going to make it back out of the hospital. And uh, shortly after that, I, I collapsed. After that, I didn't know much about what was going on. My, my poor husband actually was the one that, that, that got the real shock as a team of uh, doctors and nurses rushed into the, into the theatre. Um, but the next morning, I came round from the medication and I was informed that what I'd actually had was an ectopic pregnancy and that when they'd done the scans, I, I couldn't remember any of this at that point, um, they weren't able to locate the pregnancy. So the only way to, to tell whether or not it was an ectopic was to go in and perform the surgery. Um, but in doing so, it did mean that they had to not just remove the pregnancy because it wouldn't be viable, but they had to remove my right fallopian tube. Um, and they estimated that I was probably around eight weeks pregnant. And that just came as such a such a shock. I just I just wasn't prepared for 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 any of it. Um, and I think at that point, um, I didn't even know what an ectopic pregnancy was and I'm really ashamed to say I'm not even sure I'd ever thought quite honestly about the exact anatomy of a fallopian tube so I had all these kind of questions going around in my head I didn't really know exactly what it meant there was a lot of information kind of being thrown at me and, and kind of one of the things that they say quite shortly after I came around from it was you know 
have a read of this leaflet and then let us know what you want to do with the clinical waste. And I just didn't make that connection. So I was like, oh, well, you know, um, do what you need to do. And I, I didn't really think about anything because I was still kind of so sort of drugged up and, and kind of trying to come to terms with what had just, what had just happened and thinking about how I would explain it to anybody and everybody. Um, and shortly after a couple of days kind of in the hospital, I was, I was discharged and I asked about, well, you know, what happens next? And they said, well, really, when you go back to work, it's up to you. If you can, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, can, can you walk? Are your, are your stitches from keyhole surgery feeling fine? And I said, well, what do I do about a kind of sick note? And they said, oh, you know, you, you go to your GP to get that. Um, so kind of within about three days of surgery, I was kind of queuing up at my, my local GP trying to get an appointment to kind of get what would be a kind of one to two week a sick line still not really fully understanding what had happened and at the point of being discharged they kind of had said oh you know you'll, you'll get a referral in, in eight weeks time um, and I think that's really what set the motion of events in play because it was in that period of the eight weeks an initial period of, of, of being off work that my mind started to wonder and the sleepless nights and, and the kind of the, the gradual crying about it all and I started to kind of google things like you know ectopic pregnancy eight weeks and, and just started to to delve into this whole world of things that you know I really wasn't prepared uh, to know about or equipped to 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 receive any of that information um and I, and I think because ectopic pregnancy is, is not something that certainly at the time it was commonly known about, uh, one, in, one in 80 pregnancies are ectopic, um, I, I just felt so alone and so isolated because I didn't really know who to talk to about it or, or even what to do what to do next because we just hadn't been planning for, for a family. So I was kind of left in this situation where I nearly lost my life. And as much as my family appreciated that, I think because of that, they were actually just really, really relieved that I had survived. And I'd lost a pregnancy, I'd lost a baby, but it was a pregnancy and a baby that I didn't know existed. And I think with that came a tremendous amount of guilt that I hadn't loved something that was in my body and something that was part of me and a part of my husband. And, and that really kind of sent me into quite a, a dark place shortly shortly after coming out of surgery well you've been this is just the start Michelle that there's so much to go through and I'm so sorry that you went through that and you know your body and your mind must have been catching up with everything because you didn't know as you said you didn't know any of this and it's actually crazy looking back and thinking how you came back to work so quickly after that and the lack of sort of medical support or guidance around saying that you should probably have a bit more time and I guess you look back and wonder how the hell you you did that and 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 as you said this has really impacted on your mental health and 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 when this all started for you which is unsurprising that you know that PTSD the fear of losing your baby as well as your your own life as well as all the emotions and um, physical side and emotions and feelings that like you say of guilt because you hadn't known you were pregnant um and then were so in such pain that you you just wanted that pain to stop and you know can you talk a little bit more about that PTSD and and how that sort of um 
came came about really yeah it was actually not until 2020 that I fully understood that that's that's what I've been dealing with um but kind of going back to that point in time I think the first thing I would say was that it was absolutely ridiculous of myself to even think that I could have gone back to work I think part of that was around being in a new job and feeling I had kind of quite a lot to prove and I do want to kind of highlight that nobody at my work expected me to go back but I think I carried a huge guilt that if there wasn't some sort of recommendation that said well you know we suggest you take a minimum period of time off that again the, the way I guess my brain is 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 wired to think I, I thought I'd be a failure if I, if I couldn't cope if I couldn't go back and it took me a long time to kind of really understand what was going on but I think essentially what happened is I'd lost complete trust in my body and in my own judgment and my own ability to kind of understand the world around me and I sometimes even today feel a bit silly saying it because I know if I heard somebody else saying this I would I would be really reassuring and, and I would have all the right things to say but that's not how how life works I just didn't trust any of my decisions because the narrative going on in my head was, well, if you didn't know that you were, you know, if you didn't know you were eight, nine weeks pregnant and you almost died from that and people say, don't worry, that what's the worst that can happen? Well, there, there was almost a worst that could happen. And although I didn't die and I'm really grateful for that, my mind just started to switch into those kind of worst possible scenarios. So things where I... I I don't really like the term normal, but I guess things where maybe people who haven't had that kind of experience might think, oh, you know, the chances are really slim, everything's fine. I would go to those kind of quite fearful places and think, well, well, no, actually, there's a small percentage of a chance that this could be a risk. So I don't want to I don't want to do it. And it it kind of started as withdrawing a bit from, you know, things like social events and and really struggling to maintain friendships to just completely completely kidding myself whether at work or in my personal life that I was okay uh, because I just felt I had something to prove because I had because I had survived I felt I had to kind of more focus on that that element of 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 being grateful and being positive about it all and I didn't really give myself that proper time to to grieve what had happened I think I was probably dealing with a lot of anger about it but not really um not really dealing with that head on so it just kind of festered within me for for a really long period of time and and it was just the start though Michelle even though you'd been through so much it sadly happened happened again didn't it yeah it did and um I was aware that the chances of it happening again uh, would be increased there's a a 15% chance of a second ectopic if you've if you've had a first and um I think after the first one, my husband and I knew that we, we definitely did want children. And although I don't think we ever really properly discussed it, we kind of just kind of just kind of floated through life to some extent. We, we never really talked about it. We just sort of, it was still so painful given what had happened before. But by the April of the following year, so that would be April 2015, I was feeling a bit flush one day and uh, a friend said to me, gosh, do you think you might be pregnant? And I thought, oh gosh, maybe I am. So this time round, uh, you know, I went to the pharmacy and I got myself a pregnancy kit and I did, we did the pregnancy test and, and it, it showed up as as being um, pregnant. 
but because I knew the risks involved of an ectopic, I was just so scared of another rupture. Uh, so my husband and I went to the early pregnancy unit at our local um, hospital and I just said, look, this is my history, this is what's happened and I, I'm really, really scared. And they were actually really good about it and they explained there wasn't a whole lot they could do in, in that kind of first couple of days. But I think because I'd been through what I'd been through, I, I kind of found this inner strength to just say, well, actually, no, I, I don't want to go home and I don't want to risk the unknown and I need I need as many answers as you can give me right now because I'm I'm just so so scared of what might happen. Uh, and they it was just before Easter weekend, so they invited me to come back in the next day, and they started to measure like HCG levels of the pregnancy, and then we just had this little period of Easter weekend where there were just so many hopes and so many dreams and. At the same time, just really trying hard not to think any further ahead than where we were at that moment in time. But sadly, by the Easter Monday, when we um, visited the hospital again, they confirmed that the HCG levels had gone down and that it was highly likely I was experiencing another ectopic. And I guess the good news in that case was that it, it I wasn't ruptured, I wasn't bleeding internally like the last time, I wasn't in ambulances being rushed to hospital and they were really great about it and they put me on bed rest in the in the unit and I was there for about three, four days before um, any surgery and I think in that moment I, I kind of just realised there was nothing I could do to control any of it, that whatever was set in motion was kind of already in motion um, so I just kind of tried to acknowledge that pregnancy and be grateful that it showed my body could get pregnant and kind of just prepare for what I think I already knew was the inevitable and right enough the consultant sort of explained that yet again they were struggling to um, determine whether or not it was an ectopic from the scan alone so they were going to have to go in and perform surgery um, but I would need to be prepared that once they went in, if it if it was ectopic, then they would remove the pregnancy and also remove my second and, and remaining tube. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I came round from surgery and I was prepared this time, but I think I was also quite numb to it all. I was almost so kind of accepting of what, what was going on. And I don't really remember too much about it, if I'm honest. I just remember thinking I've got a choice. I can, I can go back to that really, really dark place or I can just kind of crack on with it. And I fooled myself into thinking that what I did next was cracking on with it. And, uh, yeah, I left hospital that afternoon with my husband. And, of course, I cried. I cried, you know, a horrible, painful, this is it cry. But I, I guess I just moved quite quickly on to the next step, which was, right, IVF, let's let's get ourselves on the NHS list, let's get ourselves on the documentation and let's just move forward with the next with the next step. So again, I didn't really fully process what had happened and I didn't really grieve either. I, I just kind of existed in this kind of uh, quite horrible and lonely sort of tormented existence where I was pretending everything was okay but it was it was far from okay on the inside. 
it's really isolating and lonely that place when you don't feel like anyone can un un can understand or empathize or you just feel like you're in that that little world a kind of black hole on, on your own and trying to be brave and carry on because you think that's what you need to do but in the end that damages you as we're going to talk about in a bit and I know that from from my experience as well and again insane to think that you would be ready to return to work and again the medical profession were not really saying anything different to you you know you're losing a baby surgery trauma again second time your body yeah. changing the mental scars as well as the emotional and, and how did you cope with that I think looking back uh, the answer is I didn't um I thought I was at the time I think what just hit me so hard was that we barely even had our first anniversary we'd been through so much as a couple um and so to some extent early marriage and that kind of first year of marriage was just so far from what we thought it was going to be like but also everything that I guess you're sort of led to believe there were no kind of movie moments about falling pregnant there was no excitement around pregnancy I just associated pregnancy with fear um and suddenly realized that gradually that I was sort of faced with, faced with this really harsh reality that I could no longer naturally conceive a baby and as a woman that just made me feel like such a failure um because the one thing that I really, really wanted and the one thing that I really, really wanted to share with my husband, I, I, I couldn't make happen. It was, it was there at that point in time, there was no hope. There would be no surprises. Everything from that moment would be paperwork and planning and, you know, medication and, and consent forms. And I, I just, um, I just felt so angry about that, if I'm honest. I think in the face of it, I was trying to be grateful and, and say, well, you know, lots of people go through this, but I felt so angry about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just... I think because so many people who'd, who were close to me, who knew my story, thought, but you, you survived the first ectopic, and the doctors tell you you can... The good news is you can get pregnant. I'm thinking, well, it's not good news because I can't stay pregnant and I now don't have the anatomy to be pregnant. And yeah, there there really isn't or wasn't at that time certainly a lot of support out there. So I was kind of back at work within two weeks thinking that, you know, my body is healed. So, you know, why would I not be? And when I look back at that now, I just think that's crazy because I would never expect that of anybody I work with now and nor did my employer expect it of me at, at the time either. It's pressure you put on yourself though. I've done that too. Like my last one, my fourth one sent me into, I had to have a couple of months off. Um, and then the fifth one, I felt, oh, I can't have that much time because people are going to judge me. When actual, who cares if any, you know, it's your mental health that's important and you force yourself back and then you end up, you're the one that suffers in the end, no no one else. And But it is that pressure that you put on yourself. And and I understand that, you know, stupid doctors saying, oh, at least you can get pregnant. Like, well, it's such a silly thing to say to anyone because, yeah, I got pregnant, but I lost the baby. So it's yeah. not much comfort, to be honest. Um and, and I totally get that as well about your body. 
um, fa failing, failing you because I felt that too, you know. Uh, I, d I just don't understand why it hasn't clicked. And it, well, obviously it has with one, but it, it, there's so many times it has gone wrong and why has it gone wrong and not having answers. And that's really tough as a woman to take that, even though you know deep down you it's not your fault, but you're still like, angry with your body. Why have you let me down? And I, I totally understand that too. And then, as you said, going through this twice, which is unbelievable, um, that then you needed to go down the medical intervention route and that involved for you IVF. Yeah, it did. And I think um, I think the thing I want to say at this point is that I, I know from where I am now just how, how lucky I am to be in the position that I'm in. I think when you're... When you become part of a of a community, so in my case, that's ectopic pregnancy or, or miscarriage, you're also sadly suddenly aware of, of the hurt and pain of, of, of so many other people, some of whom you know, um, and others who who are, are complete strangers. And I think that's something that I still to this day kind of struggle a little bit to to, to feel comfortable with. Um, but we we did go on to have IVF. And for me, the IVF was a was a just a series of lots of actions, <laughs> uh, week after week. I think the worst part of it is is not at the time not talking about it out loud because you kind of want to be quite secretive about it. Um, and also for for me at that point, it was a a twelve week process before I even fell pregnant. Um, but I'm I'm very very lucky in the sense that. I got pregnant from my first round of IVF and I don't think at the time I appreciated it but I do know now just how incredibly fortunate I am that that that, that happened and that we met the criteria to to get that fully funded on the on the NHS and and, and yes the medication was a bit horrible and my injections weren't great but if I'm honest I think I probably look back at that now with kind of rose tinted glasses because I'm one of the lucky ones I I got my I, I got my baby girl from it. Yeah, exactly. And it's totally understandable that you would be anxious and in that sense because you've been through so much trauma. And, you know, we've talked about this, Michelle, loads of times that pregnancy for us hasn't been enjoyable. It's racked, you're racked with fear with it. And I and we en I envy that of people. I look at people doing these blimmin gender reveal balloons with pink or blue confetti flying off and you know these wonderful extravagant announcements and bump pictures all over and I just I never had that and I know you didn't either because you're so racked with anxiety and fear that it could go wrong because the worst has happened before and I do envy that of people that have have been through sort of had the plane sailing and so can just really enjoy their pregnancy whereas for people that have had a difficult journey which lots have it can be really tricky but as you said, that first um, round of IVF was successful and you have your beautiful rainbow daughter, Olivia. Yeah, she is. Um... <laughs> your mini me, she's just like you. <laughs> I think just like you, I think I think that's something you and I have, I've, I'm really fortunate that we've, we've in, in troubled times, we've been able to share so much, but the, oh, I just, I just breathe her in, Emma, like I, I still to this day just cannot believe how blessed we are to to have to have her um and one day one day when she's when she's old enough I'd, I'd love to just tell her exactly what her coming into the world meant 
and it wasn't an easy journey and it's exactly as you say I think um you have so many ideas in your head about what pregnancy might be like and for so many of us it's it's just not like that at all and I think certainly when I was pregnant with Olivia I was so convinced that because of what had happened before I just wouldn't make it to my due date so I just didn't really enjoy it at all I just found it an incredibly anxious time um actually ended up in hospital a couple of times from sort of high high blood pressure and just extreme anxiety and then when she did come along I'd sort of spent so much time feeling the worst I just wasn't really prepared <laughs> at all for it I hadn't really thought past her like uh, getting home from the hospital it's something I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for but as you and I have both discussed with that can sometimes be quite a heavy load of that sort of overly mindful appreciation for what you have because we can't take it for granted I don't know if that makes sense <laughs> Yeah, and we've also talked about, which we get frustrated about, when people go, oh, have you just got the one? Yeah, we ju- at the moment we just have the one, but she's not. they're not our only, do- only children. They are everything children. And, yeah. you know, and we've also talked about the fact that sometimes you feel guilty or that people go, well, at least you've got the one. Another really thoughtless thing to say because, well, yeah, and as, as we're both really grateful, we're, and I, me too, I am so grateful to have my rainbow daughter I love her so much but it is still okay to want another baby and not to feel guilty about that because that's you your future in your head in the past was that you'd have more than one and that you'd have a sibling for your child and and it's okay to want that and our girls are an age where they ask us about that or they have babies and you know there's all things that remind you of the fact that they you know that they don't have a sibling at the moment so I, I think that's really important not to feel guilty about wanting another because it's totally fine to want another and it's still sad when you've lost other babies when you wanted another one. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think it's that that idea that you, life's kind of in limbo because in a way you're sort of potentially kidding yourself that you even have a choice in it. And I think with with our last round of IVF, that was something that really really just floored me completely um because we'd always been told that I was kind of the phrase you used was kind of you're missing the plumbing you can get pregnant you're just you're missing the plumbing inside to, to, to have a baby but with medical intervention we can help so IVF did work the first time we did get Olivia and I told myself that if I had that baby I was going to be superwoman. I was going to be unstoppable I would feel so great I would never want anything else all I wanted was this was this baby and then, of course, I got that, and we're human, right? So, of course, you, you know, in my case, of course, I wanted more. Not everybody does, and that's absolutely okay. And we sort of, we, we geared up to going again. We were always quite clear we wanted to enjoy Olivia for a certain kind of period of time because we'd had so much anxiety and worry. Uh, but in sort of um, in 2019, we, we, got, we got ready to, to have IVF again, and I was lucky in that we had these little embryos on on ice that were kind of made the same time as as Olivia, and um, yeah, again the IVF was successful, but sadly I lost the the pregnancy. I had an early pregnancy loss, and I feel a bit naive saying it out loud, but I I wasn't prepared for that at all. I'd spent so much time focusing on would the IVF work. I hadn't really taken my mind to the point of, well, the IVF might work, but there are no guarantees in, 
in anything in life. So you know, the, it just hadn't occurred to me that the that the pregnancy wouldn't wouldn't take. Um, and I think that's where my kind of vulnerability and my sort of PTSD and, and mental health sort of all sort of resurfaced a bit again on that because I'd I think we talk a lot, don't we, about resilience and about strength and courage, but that can be incredibly exhausting. Um, and there's only kind of so much your nervous system can sort of take it at any one time. And for me, I've realised that that's been a, a really big kind of trigger on, on my mental health. So um, it, it raises all sorts of questions about, you know, do you do you, do you try again? Do you not? At what point do you, do you say, actually, um, I'm not sure I'm strong enough to, to, to do this anymore? Yeah, and as you said, how, you know, those layers and layers of stuff that you're dealing with, layers of trauma, uh, layers of grit, you know, you, you had an awful experience with your miscarriage being out in, in out, out, out and about, and it happened when you were in a public, you know, public place. Um, and the grimness of how that all unfolded, you know, it's just so traumatic. And no wonder that triggered, again, the mental health issues with you, because you, as you said, your mind can only take so much before you break I think that's it and I think you know we're, we're all different aren't we and and there's no there's no exact measure of what strong is or what courage is we're all we're all individual people um but for me that that last loss just kind of short-circuited something in me and it was at that point uh, because it as you say it it had been at the safari park and it was my my nephew's birthday and, and sadly I'd gone to the toilet and, and sort of realised that I was bleeding really heavily and we hadn't told anybody at that point we, we just had it between ourselves but it was such a brief moment in time of, of kind of enjoying that we'd finally got to that next stage and in the kind of weeks and months that followed that I think I just completely gave gave up um, I'd, I'd really from the moment I had that first ectopic I'd woken up feeling so scared of the world every single day. I could kind of fake it on a sort of day-by-day, here-and-there basis, but I just had this incredible sense of overwhelming fear of every single thing around me. And when that happens, I, I just kind of got to a point where I thought, I can't, I just can't. I, I had no other words for it. And over the course of that kind of year from the march, I kind of just sunk deeper and deeper into this terrible sort of horrible depression to the point where my family and my husband kind of intervened and said Michelle we need to get you some help because whatever's going on you're 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 not coping and I think you know that too and I said no I'm not and I think I I think in many ways I've been trying to ask for help but not knowing how to and um, we got an appointment with my GP and I, I wanted to do it on my own but my, my husband waited outside and he said do you feel suicidal and I, and I just cried and I said yes and I felt so much shame and so much grief but relief all at the same time when I said that and he said right away we're going to get you counselling within the week and just through the sheer serendipity of my local GP practice having what they call a, a specialist in grief counselling, resident at the GP. Uh, they put me in touch with this wonderful woman and I started to have weekly sessions 
And really what we did there was just explore what, what grief is in relation to things like trauma and PTSD and just casually and quietly and calmly got to kind of just unpack that through the role of person-centred counselling. And for me, that was just absolutely transformational. Like I, I don't even know how to describe the difference in, in, in quite a short period of time. Um, but I, for anybody that's been through counselling, as, as much as it can be a positive thing, it can also be, it can take a lot out of you both physically and mentally. And it was kind of at that point that I, I, I chose to take quite a, a prolonged period of time off work and really just kind of retract from the world a little bit and, and just give myself time to, to heal and to reflect. And I think the biggest step change was that I'd spent so long focusing on what I wasn't or what I couldn't be rather than stopping to kind of like take pride in celebrating the things that we can do and the things that we are because I think we put so much pressure and emphasis on ourselves to to be all these things that we want to be or we think people expect us to be and, and in that kind of period of time it was really just about giving myself time no other expectation other than time to to really just talk all that through and I think now what what I, what I have as a result of that and, and I would you know really encourage anybody else who's interested in it to to explore it is that everybody's got their own level of tolerance and kind of mental health or their own triggers or, or things that will challenge them in a way that maybe others wouldn't be but I think where I've taken a lot of confidence now is that I kind of know I'm equipped for that because through the person-centered counseling I was able to kind of get some tools and techniques to to just stop and just breathe and talk it through my head and, and take myself out of that that moment that I might refer to as kind of spiralling and, and really just say, okay, it's all right to have these feelings, but you're going to walk yourself kind of through them now and and I guess build on the thing that I've been most grateful for throughout all of this and that is just the absolute power of friendship and, and being able to you know, talk to people like you, Emma, about, about these things and, and, and show that vulnerability and People can be truly wonderful and it, it never ceases to amaze me just how how much love and support you can get when, when you do ask for help. It can be an incredibly daunting thing, um, but it can also be really quite transformational at the same time. I definitely agree with that point in terms of having those key friends that get you through it. Like That's so true and that people that understand because you, it helps you feel less alone and that you've got someone that completely understands how you feel. And I'm so glad that you had that fortuitous luck that there was a the counselling link to the doctor because that's not something that's available to everyone. So that no. was wonderful that you were able to access access that support. And your point about um, dark thoughts and, and suicidal thoughts as well, like I completely empathise with that too. That's something mm -hmm. I've actually not spoken to many people about. But last year when I had my breakdown, I, I don't know if I considered something in my head playing out but I definitely felt I just I just felt this blackness obviously not helped with yeah. Covid but I just felt this I just wanted to go to sleep and not wake up and and I yeah, actually I admitted that to Chris the other day because I hadn't because I didn't want to because I I didn't and wouldn't because I couldn't do that yeah. to, you know to my daughter or, but but and 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 then you feel guilty because but I just didn't want this pain I was just fed up feeling this pain and 
and consumption of pain so I completely understand it and that's what people don't understand that it can take you in that way and it's irrational and illogical and you feel so lucky and blessed to have your loving husband and your beautiful daughter but there's something that's just triggered and it's that sort of mental thing as well and and it's really bloody hard and but I remember and I also remember thinking at the time I'm so glad that you took that time because you'd kept going and kept going and as you described you've been through so bloody much and in the end it only affects you and impacts you and your mental health and you really needed to step off that wheel of work and as you said focus on yourself and have that time to reflect grieve and think about you know how you would move forward but you can only do that if you come off that wheel because otherwise you just you you've got this to do or this to do and 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 it comes to a breaking point where you just have to say I can't do this anymore I need a break you're so right and I I think you know I'd I'd say this the same thing I think it's been so at the same time it's been so grateful to be able to confide in you and Juliet and and of course all all the other wonderful people that we're surrounded by um it's so hard to to also have watched you go through all that pain and, and I think you develop that kind of almost that unspoken understanding, don't you? Sometimes it's just a look or a couple of words and you just kind of know, like, yeah, I know what you mean when you say it's tough. It's, 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 it's that kind of tough or it's that kind of bad day or it's just that kind of that kind of feeling. Mm. Um, but I think you're right. And I think, I think why I'm just so in awe of your podcast is I think not everybody wants to talk about this and that's okay and I think that's something that those of us who do are all quite respectful of but for for many people it is just so important to to normalize that conversation because it helps people not feel not feel alone and fertility is just such a bloody bitch let's be honest like it's such a bitch and I never ever knew how much of a bitch it could be um and I think that's it, kind of bursts that bubble, doesn't it? For for what you maybe when we were a bit younger, what we what we thought it 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 might be it might be like. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it yeah, it does burst that bubble, and that's what it's that hopes and dreams. Why the, the podcast is named after that? You mm-hmm. think and you think it's going to be shiny and wonderful and going to be prancing around in like floral dresses with a big bump and stuff and it just yeah it isn't it isn't like that when you've had been in hospital with scans and things and yeah it's it's it's, it's really hard and but stepping off that wheel the work wheel and having a break how did you how did you find that in in terms of having that time away oh it was just it was like night and day Emma it was I, I cannot it wasn't even being at work because I remember being asked that question like you know is it work and I said well no it's just that it's just that there's more expectations I was kind of you know I was getting up early and I was driving in I was sitting in my car psyching myself up for the day and then to the same extent with kind of friends and family and social circles I was you know psyching myself up for hen weekends and and birthdays and, and baby showers and I just couldn't be me. It wasn't that I didn't want to be around my friends or my family. I just didn't want to be me anymore. And that time off actually ironically led us right up until the the nation's first lockdown. And I I just spent the day going for walks, getting fresh air, uh, walking up a Monroe, (laughs) uh, sitting reading a magazine with a cup of coffee. I, I, I kind of deliberately didn't put 
any expectations on myself other than to just get out of the house every day and it just made such a difference and I think sometimes the thing I often wonder about is I wouldn't wish to be really clear I wouldn't wish Covid on anybody or anywhere but for me that slightly more reclusive lifestyle that that lockdown kind of enforced upon us all actually kind of extended a bit of my my healing time if you like and it's really been just the last year that I've started to kind of gradually build myself back up again and I think anybody who becomes a parent goes through this to some extent but really starting to focus on not feeling like I always have to be super mum because I had my miracle baby that you know I don't need to be perfect I don't need to strive for perfection that it's 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 okay just to be like yeah actually I'd like some time to myself because that was something I'd often kind of felt a bit guilty about that had this sort of miracle baby and that you know all my time was was kind of put into that when I wasn't at work and just taking up new hobbies like you know wild swimming and and, and the late the loss um up the road from me or starting to kind of plan more things with friends and, and and reconnect with friends actually friends who have been unbelievably patient and understanding and forgiving of in many ways I guess how how indulgent I've been in and in and of myself throughout that that period of time some who've who've in in the way that only your best friends can lovingly told me that uh, but as ever just grateful for that kind of unconditional love that comes from family and, and, and your true friends and I think that's something that I've I've really benefited from and I'm, I'm really grateful to, to kind of have in my life. Well that's true friendship though it's understanding um, it's asking the right questions and saying if you need to talk I'm here but if you yeah. don't I'll be here when you are ready to talk and you don't have to have been through this awful experience to have empathy and and say that and be patient and not force people to do things that they're not ready to do because putting that brave face on as we said is bloody tiring yeah and it's even with work like you go to a meeting and even you can be at a meeting and then a blooming pregnancy announcement gets announced from a work colleague and you're just like and that's something that comes from nowhere and you're just you're feeling like you're having a good day you're in control you've been able to go to and then you're like dagger in the stomach of like oh god that's just made me you know you know and as I've always said you're happy for that person of course you are but it just reflects on that what you want and isn't happening and uh you know so that that is just something that good friendship is is really important and you you definitely appreciate the the friends and family that are there for you through through this because it is it is really hard, especially when you've been through so much, uh, you know, years of this. It's a long time to be feeling these things and um, and needing a bit of leeway and, and, and people lowering their expectations of what you should and shouldn't be. And, and that comes over time too. Like definitely at the start for me, I would force myself to go to everything. Yeah. But now I, now I don't. And again, with COVID, you know, I just think no I need to look after myself and no I can't go to that thing um or be that person at that thing right now I just can't do it I, I think you're totally right Emma and I think you know you've been through so much and I think you, we we all throughout this start to develop more of that understanding of what what we can and cannot sort of do to some extent and I think that's it it's just sort of being kind to yourself isn't it and yeah and and taking small small steps one at a time 
I, yeah. and I'm a firm believer I, I think if there's anything the last period kind of five years or so has taught me is that I'm not sure I believe in good years I think I believe in good moments in time so I think what I've learned is trying to really hold on to those really good moments so that you've got that kind of bottle that bottle of of, of good moments to see you through some of the some of the bad moments that, that you might not anticipate yeah and it can it's not linear so it kind of things can creep up or you can yeah. feel like you're doing okay and then a memory or an anniversary triggers or something that just takes you takes you back but what what support have you found or what things have you found that you've done that have been really helpful in in your journey to support you so I think the the kind of first thing I found was this really fantastic charity called the ectopic pregnancy trust and they have an amazing website and I've actually never spoken to them directly over the phone but they run a, a really great closed and open, but the main one I used is closed Facebook group of other women who've been through an ectopic pregnancy and just the power of community through that charity and that Facebook group has been amazing. And um, I used that a lot following my second ectopic when I was really kind of facing the idea of what's just happened in, in both occasions. And I, I keep it on my Facebook um, list of groups because I I try to make sure that I'm kind of continuing to pay back to that because I got so much advice and encouragement and celebration from, from you know, all these women that I didn't know that I try to make sure that when I see somebody that's maybe experiencing similar, something similar to myself, I can, you know, I can comment. And, and I think it's maybe in a slightly more selfish way, just a reminder of kind of where I've, where I've come from to to not forget that and to not forget that that I, I got that help from from that community of people yeah um I think the other thing is if I'm honest throughout my journey there were definitely points where I was handed leaflets and told you know we offer a counseling service if you'd like to explore it and I think again it sounds stupid when you say it aloud but often the time periods are not if, if you work during the week you work during the day then your first thought is how am I going to explain time off to go to this and I don't you know for me personally I wasn't at that point when I got to that point as you can well imagine you know it was like yeah cool take all the time you need you you, you make that appointment in your diary to go to counselling just block it out you know no questions asked of course that's what you should do you know we'd say that to anybody on our team too um so I would say to anybody sometimes it feels like you're not getting the support but when you are handed that information try to explore it and that's really easy for me to say at the other end of the process because if I'm honest there were times where I just felt so low that if they weren't offering me an appointment you know at a specific day and time it felt like I was having to do too much but if you think counselling's for you then get yourself registered through your GP the waiting times can be horrific but the only way sometimes to get closer to those waiting times is to get yourself registered in the in the first place and I have had some counselling through through um, the the GP services since my first consented counselling because I'd, I'd been on the waiting list and said, well, do you want to come along? I said, well, actually, I've had counselling. So well, why don't you come along for one session just so we can check? And they were kind of satisfied that, you know, I was at a point where, where, I, where I didn't need that. But I'm really grateful to have had that, to have had that opportunity. And I think just being honest, I think I thought I was hiding it from everybody but I wasn't of course I wasn't so it came as no surprise when I spoke to friends and family and colleagues and 
people around me and said, well, actually, I've not been doing too well. It was almost like I'd given them that final permission to say, oh, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Michelle. I've been really worried about you. And you suddenly realise that all those times that you've maybe spent alone could have been not quite so alone because you know, the people that know you the best also know when you're not your best. Um, and I've learned just a little bit to to lean on that, maybe a little bit more than I would have done in the past. Yeah, and I think that that came up in a programme recently when we are talking about suicide and I think it was Roman Kemp's documentary where you should ask people, are they okay? And when they say, yeah, because it's hard to say, no, I'm not, then follow up and say, are you really okay? And that is good advice in terms of checking in with friends and people that you are worried about to make sure that they're not, you know, covering it up as we all try to do all the time because you feel like, oh, I'm the one that's moany or the one that's negative or finding it hard. You don't, you don't, it's, it's hard to admit that, I think. It is really hard. And I think often a lot of people really misunderstand things like depression and PTSD and, you know, somebody once said to me, but PTSD, that's for the, for people in the army that have been to war. That can't be you. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't ever compare myself to that at all. But, you know, it, it, it is real. And, you know, Tommy's charity, I think, did a study back in 2016 um, that, that had sort of proven that through sort of extensive research with um, with people who'd, who'd gone through uh, miscarriage and, and ectopic pregnancies too, that I think it was quite an overwhelming, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was an overwhelming proportion of, of people that they interviewed were experiencing symptoms of, of, of proven PTSD because the experience of of ruptured ectopics or, or pregnancy loss at any stage of that journey are so traumatic and often not fully understood and, and I guess treated so differently depending on where you might be, for example, in the UK. Um, so I think there's that and I think there's also that idea that, you know, you, you related to this as well, that when I answered yes to that question of feeling suicidal, the next question, of course, was, you know, are you making plans? And my answer to that was no, I couldn't ever have contemplated actually doing it and I think in some ways that also added to that feeling of just complete and utter being stuck because I, I knew I wouldn't get to that point but I'd been stuck in that place of feeling like that and, and almost imagining it for quite a while and it was incredibly scary to say that out loud but it was just a feeling of wanting out of the situation that I was currently and because I felt if I if I couldn't fix it, what was so wrong with me that I couldn't say, well, on paper, I've got a loving family, I've got great friends, I'm in a good, you know, secure job, I've got a beautiful daughter. On paper, I, you know, I have it all <laughs> in, in many ways. And I don't mean that to brag, I mean that to kind of show gratitude. And yet I still felt like crap, like utter worthless crap. And that feeling was just incredibly debilitating and that ongoing loss of confidence you know I'd gone from jumping out of airplanes and being a bit of an adrenaline junkie to suddenly worrying about the consequences of of giving the wrong answer to a friend or not being able to meet them for coffee or sending an email at work with a mistake in it or pitching an idea that wasn't any good it was I, I literally had just frozen in so many aspects of of life and and being in that place was just really scary I just really, really, really hope that, and I, I know I felt it already from listening to your previous podcast, that I think this is why what you're doing is so 
so great and so important because the more stories that are told, the more it normalises all these feelings that can feel so scary at the time into realising that unfortunately they are felt by lots of other people and that there are there is advice out there and there 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 is always there's there there is hopefully always somebody to to talk to yeah and the other it's exactly as you say that other people's feel it have these same feelings and that you're not going mad and you're not the only one that isn't coping with the stuff you've been through because actually you've coped with a lot but it's okay to take a pause and and have to mend and heal because it's so much to deal with it really is especially you michelle you've been through so much but you what's next you, you're still not giving in yet are you you still have hope that for another baby yeah i do <laughs> i really really do and i think i'm trying to be in a place where i know that that might not that might not be you know i'm, I'm late 30s as well so i've got that to consider i'm not ready to give up covid has stalled that quite a lot but I still have a house full of cupboards and things that I just can't I can't let go of yet <laughs> and it is verging into being a bit of a hoarding problem so one way or another I feel like we have to just kind of get on with this next stage so yeah I, I'm I'm excited about it and I'm trying to hold on to that excitement but I'm also sort of got that that part in my head that's you know I can only do what I can do and for me in my personal circumstance that's wait a little longer until um until the NHS are ready to see me because they currently hold my embryos uh, and go through a process that um like the last time we'll we'll pay for. We've you know in some ways we've we've put that aside so that feels really good and just go through the motions and uh, I don't know. Nothing in life is guaranteed, right? You just don't you just don't know. So this time round, I'm really trying to prepare myself that I might not get what I want, but I've got to hold on to what I've been through so far because I just don't want to go back to that place no matter what happens next. Because I think I'm at that point in life where I just, I just want to know. Mm. I just want to know am I, am I sort of getting rid of the buggies and things and selling them and giving them away? And is that part of my life over, or are we are we moving forward? And and the kind of unfortunate part of that, as 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 you you know as you well know, is that it it, it can still be a really long process. Yeah. Um. And, and in some ways, that element of I feel guilty saying it because there are so many people out there that would would generally give everything they have to even have an embryo that is theirs. Um. And I know that from the forums that I'm on. But sometimes I almost wish the decision could just be made for me because it's it, it it is really like having all your eggs in one basket, and it now feels like this enormous, enormous decision on my shoulders. You know, am I mentally strong enough to go again? Can my mental health handle you know another another loss? Am I ready to kind of close that book? Because in a way, I'm living in hope. So I've got the hope and I've got the dreams, but there'll come a point in time where that um that's over we, we've personally made a decision as a couple that we wouldn't do another round so you know once there's no eggs there's no there's no more IVF yeah I don't really know what to say no. No, <laughs> I, I feel like I could talk about this all night because it's just so daunting but I'm, I'm 
I completely understand yeah. where you're coming from with that. But, and, and also, I found it recently, it's been hard. Like, I came back the other day and Chris had got all the baby stuff out because mm. a friend had asked to borrow it. And I, it was just really shocking to see it all laid out because, I, you know, it brings yeah. back memories of your child when they're a baby. And I don't know, it, it, having all that stuff, you know, holding on to it because you're holding on to that dream is actually quite hard because then you, you see bits that you see, oh, they're in the garage and you're like, yeah. oh, is, am I being silly? Am I holding this stuff on? Should I just let it go and not, you know, but I'm I'm exactly the same as you. I'm still hoping, I still have hope that we will have another one. I don't know when or, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I am protecting myself to think, well, if it doesn't happen, then this is the life that I have and I'm very grateful for and it will be a different yeah. life, but I will be lucky all the same. But I will I still feel sad, but I need to get to a point where I accept it and I'm not quite at that point yet. So, um, But I will have to accept it if it's not meant to be. It's just so hard, isn't it? It's it's so hard. And it's funny because we, we both are in such different but similar situations. So, I, you know, I've been protected a lot from pregnancy loss because I just, I, I can't get pregnant on my own. But at the same time, I've, I've delayed that process so much because I've, I've almost geared it up to be this massive thing that's like, when's the perfect time to to, to take those next steps? And it's, it's um, I'm just so sorry that we've we've both had to, to, to go through this, but so thankful that of all the people to share these journeys with, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely one of them. Yeah, I'm so, so thankful that I've had you in my life to, to kind of have those moments of support and just complete honesty and vulnerability and, and whether it's a good day or a bad day just kind of that, that me, shared understanding me, me too lovely it really um, yeah it keeps you going survival sometimes on some days that are particularly bad to know you've got someone at the end of the teams or email or phone just to say mm. I'm having a crap time and they there's no judgement they just completely understand it's so it's so important um any final advice to anyone experiencing similar trauma that, that you you and Keith have been through or how to na- navigate the impact on mental health and find a way through? You mentioned earlier, and I, I know you've been doing lots of wild swimming, which must be something that really helps, I guess, ground you and energise you in some way. Do you find those sort of activities helpful? I do, yeah. I don't know about kind of <laughs> parting advice. I feel like I'm not... <laughs> Not nearly qualified enough for it, but um, I, I would just say be kind to yourself. Please, 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 please be kind to yourself. Um, it is a loss. It is a trauma. The grieving, grieving is really important. There's no right or wrong answer. And there's, it's, there's no such thing as grief Olympics. So whether your pregnancy was one day or weeks and weeks right up until birth, there's, there's really every experience is is individual and every experience is valid and yeah it took me a long time to realize this but as hard as it might be try and find something that's just for you that you can kind of call yours and for me um, it's actually a friend and colleague introduced me to it that can I do getting on my wetsuit and jumping into a cold loch it's incredibly invigorating and it's fun and it's something I can do kind of you know in my own time uh, and again that's another kind of Facebook community group where women all over the uh, area have come together for all sorts of reasons to, to to do this and it's just for me it's something that's actually quite physical so 
it's a reminder of what my body can do. You know, I, I might not be able to make a baby on my own <laughs> or with my husband, um, but I can go for swimming in a nice cold loch. And it actually, in that moment in time, it feels really, really good. Yeah, and focusing on what you are and rather than what you're not. Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. Because um, you can lose sight of that really quickly, actually, when, when the thing that you, you're not is so big and overwhelming. It's really easy to lose sight of the of all of all the other good things that you are, and I think I think that's something that it's not boastful and it's not true to tell yourself that to 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 appreciate things about yourself that that you like. And it's taken me a really really long time, and I'm not even sure I'm there quite yet, but I'm I'm definitely working more to towards that. And I think things like the swimming and just kind of starting to build up more of that not waking up with that fear anymore so therefore not afraid to send a text message to a friend and say hey do you want to meet the weekend it's 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 just nice to have those things because it means that you're it, it gives your life a lot of meaning you know in yeah. and, and around it and I'm quite a spiritual person so I've, I've got that and I've kind of learned just to kind of lean into to that as my personal choice um, and just find what works for you and then really make an effort to try and stick at it, even when you're exhausted and even when it feels tough, because in the long run, it really will help. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect place to end. Um, you know, and you are amazing and courageous and you've picked yourself up through the most awful times and you've kept going, which is not easy. And as you said, you know, rather than faith, um, sort of thinking about the things that haven't happened like being you know unable to get pregnant naturally and being through this journey but focus on how strong and resilient you are and how you've managed to find a way through um and I'd say that to others listening you know you're amazing and you keep going despite all the challenges keep going and there are these support resources and things that Michelle's mentioned about finding something for you because you can lose yourself in this very much so and feel like you don't know who you are anymore and um I think Michelle and I are both on that journey of trying to find who we are and what makes us happy mm. and find happiness in other things out with trying for a family uh, additional family that we really want so thank you so much again for Michelle for coming on like you, I, I can't say it enough you're really really brave to come on and I know you were nervous about talking about some of these things but you're incredible so thank you so much for, for coming on today thank you so much for having me and right back at you honey it's just it's, it's yeah you're amazing and I wish you every bit of luck in the future both in your in, in family and in, and in what you're doing in this podcast thank you thank you so much for listening to the latest episode I really do help, hope you found it helpful and indeed hopeful Michelle covered a lot of support resources throughout the episode so I'll make sure to put those in the show notes do leave a review or let us know what you'd like for future episodes and remember that we're on instagram and twitter the hopes and dreams podcast and take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time bye